0: decode your burnout fans and welcome to another episode with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. Today, we're joined by Ron Gold. And this is going to be a very special episode. So Ron Gold is a former Wall Street exec, a spinal cord injury survivor and creator of Lean on We. He provides a needed change of perspective for when adversity strikes, change paralysis, and when we need some new thinking in business and in life. Now he's been featured in everything from Forbes, Wharton Magazine, Huffington Post, to name a few. He's an aging and disability advocate who spends his leisure time as a para rower and hand cyclist, and supports numerous foundations working for a cure for paralysis. And he serves as an inspiration to audiences everywhere. Ron, it is an honor to have you on the show.
1: It's great to be here, Sharon. Thanks for having me.
0: So we we've just heard a little bit about you, and we know that you went through something that landed you in a wheelchair. Tell us that story. What happened?
1: Sure. I was working on Wall Street. It was a great career. I actually ran an equity desk, which means I, I managed sales from Asian equities into the U.S. institutions. I did a lot of travel to Asia. I found it incredibly stimulating. And what I would end up doing is I'd also get totally engrossed in my sports, maybe to work off some of the steam from from work. And I'd go out generally either going running or, or bicycling with a group of friends on weekend mornings. And this particular morning, it was 11 and a half years ago, it was Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend. I went out for a 50-mile bike ride with a group of friends. It's something I did regularly. We were almost home, a few miles to go when all of a sudden an out-of-control SUV comes barreling at us. The driver crossed a solid yellow line, hit my buddy Zach, then me, without braking. You have to understand, we're in a pace line, so my eyes are locked in right on Zach's wheel, rear wheel, because if I don't, I'm going right into him. I'm doing that. All of a sudden, I hear him yell. I look up, and an SUV is coming right into me, and I have no chance to swerve or avoid her. The only thing I can do is I think to myself, keep your head up as high as possible so it doesn't bear the brunt of the impact from the SUV. And that's really the last thing I remember. They quickly got a helicopter, landed it at a nearby prep school, put me in, medevac me to the nearest trauma unit. They had radioed ahead, the trauma team was on standby, but nobody expected me to survive. In case you're wondering, I did.
0: <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is quite a story and you know it's amazing that in the last kind of quarter of a second before this happens, the the thought that goes through your mind is keep your head up high.
1: Because I knew if that SUV was going to hit my head, that was it. I was done. Wow. I also thought about trying to jump over the guardrail and get to the other side, but y- you're clipped in. You're clipped in with your shoes. And I didn't know if I could make it and I didn't do it. Wow.
0: And your buddy's fine?
1: Yeah. He had a hip replacement, but in the grand scheme of things, he's fine.
0: Wow. Okay. So they, they took you to the hospital and tell us what happens next.
1: I woke weeks later wow. from an induced coma after dozens of, of surgeries, only to learn that I was now a paraplegic and I would never walk again. So you go
0: from being this like super sporty guy who's out there doing 50 mile bike rides on the weekends and running and doing all the stuff to now not being able to do any of it in the same way. But you've eventually kind of found your way back into sports is what I heard.
1: Yeah, it takes a while. Yeah, yeah it, it sure. takes a, a long time. After five months, I came home wow. to, to try and.
0: Five months of, in the hospital. Yeah. Oh boy. So wait, so before you get home, walk us through this. You wake up from this coma, you realize what's what's happened and what it means, what the consequences are for you.
1: Not not totally. I I don't just wake up from a coma and I'm alert, right? They they had given me fentanyl, they had given me all kinds of medication. I had all kinds of hallucinations while I was in this coma and mm-hmm. I'm I'm asking my wife all kinds of questions, what's going on? And I, I don't fully process what's going on. It takes me quite a while. And in fact, I didn't even process that that I was paralyzed. I had to go back and had the neurosurgeon had to come back into my room several more times before I started, it started really to sink in. And then after the hospital, I was in ICU for two months, and then I was transferred to a rehab hospital, and I was there for three months. And and in some ways, the rehab was even more difficult because in the hospital, it's all about healing you. Once you go to rehab, it's about teaching you how to live your life as a paraplegic. And and that was a really bitter pill for me to swallow because I wasn't even processing that I was now a paraplegic and I wasn't going to be able to do my things again. I remember every night at the in in rehab I would uh, sort of cry myself to sleep and think I'm going to wake up and everything is going to be like it was but of course it isn't no okay. backseas.
0: Yeah so what goes through your mind when you're finally realizing that this is a permanent change
1: I'm done this is not the life I bargained for the sort of a bargain you work hard you go to good school you get yeah. a good job you get married, yeah, you have a good marriage, you have three children, and life is life is going as you planned it. I put in the work, I put in the investment, and now I want a reward. I was soon to be an empty nester and I was thinking, oh, now I can do a lot of that travel and things that my wife and I wanted to do. And now the rug is pulled out from you right as you're about to go ahead and do it. And I was having a really hard time with that. Uh, I kept saying to myself, why me? Why did this happen to me? What are the odds at this very moment that we're cycling by, she loses control of the car and goes into us? I had always thought, okay, I might get clipped from behind. Maybe I break a shoulder. I never dreamed that somebody, you know, the road would curve and she would go straight into us. She said, they said she was drowsy. It was right in the middle of the day on a bright and sunny day. There's no justification for any of that, but things happen, right?
0: Yeah. So you've been through a lot to say the least, and it's been 11 years. And where are you today in terms of how you feel about the accident and your situation that basically you're dealing with on a daily basis as a result of this?
1: Yeah, I I went through that stage of, of why me and why did this happen for quite a while? And I would just be at home sitting around. Well, of course, sitting around is what I do. But after a while, I, I sort of remember one day in particular, it was a, a year to the month that I came home and I was doing, I was sort of in the same place. And finally, my wife said, why not you? Bad stuff happens to people all the time. Mm. And that was not the TLC I was looking for from her, but she was right. And I, I realized that my family, particularly my wife, Betsy, was getting tired of my whinging. And my kids were, were growing up. They were teens when, when the injury happened. And now they're moving into their 20s. They don't need me to kick the soccer ball. They don't need me to help them with algebra. But they need me to teach them the lesson, how to handle whatever life throws at you. And, and I have to sort of get out of my stupor, figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And that, that why not you really, it struck a chord with me. And after yeah. that, I, I started thinking about making the best of things, really. And, and instead of viewing everything as insurmountable, break things down into smaller challenges things that i could handle and and move on
0: which is a great tip because when we think about the big picture of things sometimes we become overwhelmed and that in and of itself can paralyze us so it's it's really like a good tip for people to look at your situation in small increments and like what what specifically can i do in this situation or today or right now as opposed to this is a forever thing. And now, you know, you're just overwhelmed with emotion
1: about that. I'll give you an example. When I was first discharged and then I went to, to rehab for outpatient, I, I wasn't driving. I couldn't drive. And either my wife, Betsy, or my father-in-law would drive me to rehab. And then we had a one of those conversion minivans with a ramp. And then I learned how to go up the ramp on my own and get into the driver's seat. And drive myself in the minivan. And then I sort of, that was the first step because now I had some independence. I could get around on my own. I could go to rehab. I could do some other things on my own, but I hated that minivan because it just reeked disability to me. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was cumbersome and I had to make extra room to get out of the ramp. I needed, and a lot of times I would park and somebody would park right next to me. Then I was stuck. I couldn't get in or out Because they were too close to me. The next step was to to drive a standard sedan and to put in hand control so I could drive it. But I had a, a big sedan that I would drive. And in order to get into that car, I need to roll up to the passenger seat. I need to transfer into the passenger seat. I need to take the wheels off the minivan. I need to take the body of the wheelchair, put it over me onto the passenger seat and then put the wheels on top, put my foot legs in, and then I'm driving. And so that's an example of all of these different steps I need to take, but everything is car compartmentalized and into little steps. And now I'm able to drive a sedan. And then I get into that car, I feel like I'm just like everybody else. I'm driving that car. And it seems like maybe it seems like a little thing, or maybe it doesn't seem like a little thing, but it was a big thing for me sort of that step to to move forward on and and regain my independence and regain as much of my life as I could.
0: Yeah, and you know in a similar but obviously less devastating way for some folks at least burnout is something that happens where you change, right? Things are not how they used to be and in the same way where you had this idea of how life would be. People come into a job and they expect great things, right? They're motivated, they're excited, and then they invest a lot of their time and their energy. And sometimes it doesn't go well. And they they find themselves burned out. And it can be for a whole slew of reasons, right? We don't know. Some of it is environmental. Some of it is coming from their own personality traits and things of that nature. But, you know, once you're burned out, it's really about how do you recover? And... In a similar way to what you were saying, I think one of the tips might be to really just focus on taking that first step, right? So those baby steps on how to how do I get back to myself, right? What do I need today? What do I need right in this moment to feel more energized, to get out of bed, to have the motivation, whatever it is, to refine my sense of purpose, whatever it is that you're struggling with. And so I think that's, that's really powerful. I want to share that, you know, my husband had a different kind of, not an injury like you have, but he lost his vision as an adult. So he was born fully sighted in the same way that you were born fully mobile. And turns out he's got some genetic mutation that's been inherited. There's nobody in his family that has this condition, but he started to lose his vision over time. And so it's interesting, right? Because as you know, there are people like you who were born fully mobile then they have an accident something happens and then they their whole life changes whereas there are people who are born with some sort of genetic mutation or something and from the get-go they maybe are paralyzed or, or you know don't have a limb or something something is right and there's a difference because if you're born a certain way versus you have to adapt to a change it means that there are Nuances and things that are different between those two groups. Well, in the same way, if you're born blind versus you lose your vision as an adult, it is significantly different, right? There's a loss component, and you know what I'm talking about there. And in the same way, it affects your identity because you're used to things being a certain way. You see yourself in a certain light. You have capabilities. You have things that you dream about and things that you plan for. And all of a sudden, you've got to face this whole new reality. You've got to figure out how to manage. Like in his case, it wasn't like he couldn't run and do all those things, but it's more like he can't see. So it affects the kind of work that you do because not every kind of job allows you to rely on technology. I mean, thankfully in this day and age, you've got talking software that can help you manage from a technological perspective, which you know he didn't have when he first got the diagnosis. So things have evolved and that's been really great. But I would say from a psychological perspective, there's a lot of changes that you have to go through in your own mind to even be able to start to adapt to change in the first place. And I know that you speak about this a lot in your talks. You talk about adapting to change because as we saw with COVID, when change happens, a lot of times people become paralyzed psychologically. So what's maybe like some mindset hack or some golden nugget that you can share with people when they're dealing with changes and they're paralyzed?
1: I think it's different for each person, but I've actually thought a lot about this. And and I've spoken to a number of other people who are also paralyzed or have gone through some some sort of life-changing trauma and... uh, and I know for me, I had to somehow get in touch with my vulnerability because I had to I had to recognize that I can't do certain things and I need to be completely open about it. I, I remember initially I, I I started a business, right so and now I had to re-engage with society. and I know that going around in a wheelchair terrified me the idea that I'm no longer that strong independent fit person that I was and now I'm in a wheelchair and I think everybody has sort of preconceptions of of what that means and and reduced capabilities and reduced effectiveness but once I sort of opened the kimono so to speak and and was totally honest with myself of where I was and what I could do and I was still capable of doing a lot of things I'm just Physically less able to do some things, mm-hmm. uh, it changed my entire mindset, and I was able to sort of move move forward with a more empowered view. Like, hey, not only can I handle everything you did, I got to handle an extra handicap, and I can still move forward.
0: Yes, and
1: and it, I sort of flipped it, and it becomes empowering. Yeah, and that's I'm not the only one who does that. I think people who are in a wheelchair or have gone through some of the similar sorts of things They they either they get to that place or they don't. But it's not rare that they do.
0: Exactly. And, you know, to your point, people often will come to my husband and say, like, oh, my God, you're so amazing because you do blah, blah, blah. You know, and he's like, I'm not amazing. Like, this is just what you do when you have to do it in this way, right? Like, if you're put in that position, like, as you say, you have a choice. You can stay kind of in the victim mentality and feel sorry for yourself and be stuck, or you just figure it out, right? It's sink or swim. Exactly. Which, by the way, there's a book called, I think, Sink, Float, or Swim. And I've had several people, because they know that I deal with burnout Recommend this book to me. So I'm glad that you brought that up because, you know, in a similar way with burnout, it's like you got to figure it out. You've got to, you know, even if you've burned out, right? Are you going to stay in this place that you allow yourself to drown or are you going to figure out how to move forward, right? And not just float because that's just status quo. So that's important. You know, a lot of times people who aren't familiar with people like you, they have a certain stigma or idea about what people with disabilities are like or what it means to be in a wheelchair and that being in a wheelchair or being disabled, quote unquote, means that you're not really capable of achieving great things. And I think you just debunked that myth for us.
1: Yeah, it's a driver for me. It's a driver for me to say, hey, look at us. We can do things. We are capable. Amazing. And before I was injured, I didn't really think much about the concept of purpose. My purpose was to care for my family, to be a good father, to be a good husband, to earn a good living, to be able to do the sorts of things that I wanted to do. And a lot of them were sports related and I didn't get a chance to do a bunch of them because I just sort of figured, again, like I said before, once I'm an empty nester, it'll give me the opportunity to do more of those things. The concept of purpose is more front and center for me now after this. I think because I nearly died. I mean, that's clear. Sure. And you start thinking about your own mortality in a different way. And then you start thinking about doing things within that are consistent with that, consistent with purpose that can make a difference in the world. Because once you're open to being vulnerable, and you let things, the shades down, you think about being good, making a difference, helping people, all yeah. those sort of I don't know. In teens, we would say like sappy things, you know, it's all about protecting yourself emotionally. But over time, you don't need to protect yourself emotionally. Just do the right thing. So
0: there's a myth out there that authenticity and vulnerability are actually not very important for resilience and purpose and that they can actually lead to burnout. What would you say to
1: that? I disagree completely. I think authenticity and vulnerability have helped give me purpose and and drive me forward and compelled me to do the things, to re-engage with family and friends, to start a business with my wife that is helping thousands of people. We have a business, we call it Lean On We. And what we do is we match families looking for home care with caregivers. So Mm -hmm. think about your parents or aunts, uncles that need care. And we've come up with a different way for people to find care. And it's incredibly rewarding that we're helping all those people So absolutely. And Earlier, well, I was also going to say sports has been a part of that. I had a hard time with sports because it was a big part of my life. And it was a lot of individual sports and it was about me pushing myself and competing with myself Mm -hmm. um, to be fit. And I knew that my work was very intensive and it was very time consuming. So I didn't have as much time to do what I did. And I sort of I understood that I was going to be a strong cyclist, but I wasn't going to be as strong as some of the other ones because they would go out and ride during the week, and I didn't have a chance to do that. But it was all about pushing myself to do as much as I could. And then when I looked for sports, everything just seemed to be inadequate after my injury. The first thing people said to me, oh, you should try wheelchair basketball. I think mostly because that that's the only sport, wheelchair sport people know of. But the fact of the matter is I was a lousy basketball player when I was able-bodied. So this was never going to (laughs) work as a disabled wheelchair
0: basketball
1: player. And then I tried golf. I was a lousy golfer before I was even worse in the stand-up kind of thing. So I had this problem finding things. And then a friend of mine was a very avid rower. And he said, well, why don't you try that? And we're starting an adaptive program. And, uh, And that was something I could do. It was, again, it was an individual thing, but it was great. It got me out of the water again, which I enjoyed, and uh, I was able to push myself and really exert myself.
0: Yeah. So sometimes it just takes a little while to find yourself when your whole life has been turned upside down, but I think that's it a does. really positive message. Now, what do you think about this idea of when you compare your struggles to other people's that can help motivate you and minimize your own challenges. What do you think? Is that true or not?
1: The first thing we learn when you have an injury like mine is that as much as many of us are spinal cord injured, every injury is completely different. And Mm -hmm. you can't really compare one to the other. And you, you see it even in a sport, let's say rowing. Well, it may seem like I'm an adaptive rower. This person's an adaptive rower. But really, our injuries are very different. I don't have the same trunk control that somebody else does. But I have strong upper body because Mm -hmm. I, uh, where the injury occurred. It's a bad rabbit hole, I think. And you need to be comfortable in what you are and what you're dealing with. And you need to say, I'm going to make the best of what I have. And uh, comparing yourself to others is just a bad path to go down, I think.
0: And I think the same is true for burnout. I think the same is true for burnout because people burn out for different reasons. People's burnouts can be different. Like there's a whole range and you can fall anywhere on the range. And so for some people, it's more severe and others it's milder. Some people develop more physical symptoms. Others it's more cognitive or emotional. So I think the same is really true of don't compare your burnout situation to other people or don't compare yourself to people who aren't burned out that's really not helpful. What's helpful is to focus on what's going on for you and what you need in order to recover. So thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, Ron. It's really inspirational. And I love the work that you are doing. It really does make a difference in the world. And I know in addition to doing the work that you do in your business, that you also are somebody who speaks about all of these things for companies. So if somebody is interested in getting in touch with you, either for the services that you provide for home care, or for having you speak at their organization, where should they go?
1: Well, they can find me on, on my personal web- website, which is rongold.live. And the, the business website, which is anybody who needs home care or considering an assisted living or fall detection, any of these sorts of things is leanonwe, dot com, or find me on social media.
0: Okay. Well, we'll put all of those links in the show notes for sure. So people have a way of getting in touch with you. I want to thank you for coming on again and sharing your story is really inspirational. And I think an important message for people to hear.
1: Thanks so much, Sharon. I enjoyed it. Of
0: course. of course. Now, for all of you thinkers out there, what did you think of the show? If you are a feeler, how did hearing this make you feel? And for all of you doers, what are you going to do based on what you've heard? Regardless of what your personality code is, my goal is to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience. And by decoding it, you can find solutions that are equally unique to you. Help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on Apple or Spotify and leaving us a review telling us what you think, feel, or do differently because of the show. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can also leave me a comment or questions to answer in future episodes. And please recommend the show to anyone struggling with burnout. If you are ready to take the next step with me to DYB, go to decodeyourburnout.com and I'll see you right back here next week. Bye, everybody.